Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Summits Podcast. Thank you all for joining us from wherever you get your podcasts, or if you're checking us out on the Heroes Foundation YouTube channel, thank you for doing so. Excuse me. New guest today, Mr. Zach Kiefer. Zach, welcome to the Summits Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. You're yeah. welcome. Thanks for joining us. Um, why don't you give our listeners and viewers a quick background on yourself? Yeah. Um, proud Indiana Hoosier, native Hoosier. Um, didn't want to really want to go anywhere else. This is a great time of year in India. I was just thinking about that in the drive up May, the race is coming. Um, grew up going to Pacers games and Colts games. And from a job perspective, I was always the weird kid in class who got excited when the teacher would give English papers, right? And like everyone would <laughs> groan and I would be the guy that got excited. So when I figured out there was a job where you could go to games and write about athletes and sports and these amazing games, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And I've really never other considered anything else. So I, I covered the Indianapolis Colts and the NFL for The Athletic. I am on TV sometimes for Wish TV in town. I teach a class down at IU on sports writing, which I really enjoy in the spring. Um, so yeah, it's been a wild ride for those of you that follow the Colts. It's been a very eventful, unpredictable, challenging last um, couple of years. Um, did a big narrative podcast series on Andrew Luck last summer that really dove into his entire career and, and what happened and what, at the end and why it happened. But yeah, it's 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 an awesome job. It's challenging. It's unpredictable. You get to meet a, a lot of great people along the way. Yep. Um, what grade were you when you? Uh... Got excited about the writing the English paper and then turned on into sports reporting. I'm gonna say like sixth or seventh. Okay, Hamilton Southeastern grad yep. went to IU, okay. got a couple <clears throat> degrees there. So yeah, it's it's been pretty much within these borders for most of the run. Perfect. Um, so we we got we I met you initially back in the winter time, and you can't you were kind enough to come in to do the uh, emceeing for the Heroes Foundation Uneven mm-hmm. with Heroes Gala. Um, thank you again for doing that. We appreciate it. We do have a, a commonality or a common uh, connection, if you will, is is your cousin, Jen, Jennifer. Um, Jen, who's a couple of years younger than me, went to the we went to IU about the same time. Um, so I, I think I'd met her back then initially, but then she and her husband um, at the time lived across the street from us back in the broad up old days, the early years. There's a few stories there, which we'll share for a different podcast. Um <laughs> What if you if you will when when you got into sports writing, what did you know right away? Like, yep, this was this was this was the right choice. I was excited about it. Now I'm in it, and yep, I'm I'm this is awesome. Or did it take you a while to kind of warm up to it? And then now that you've been in it for X number of years, what what excites you the most each day? Getting up and 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 doing it again. I'll answer your last question first. The most exciting part for me is a blank page, right? Is is getting the chance to tell a story. Writing's hard. It's like hard for me and I do it every day. It's really hard for for most people. And so I like things that are consistently challenging you. You never really master it. And the great thing about an NFL locker room is there's 53 guys in there, right? On the team, there's 53 different stories. None of these guys got to the NFL the same way. And it's my job to go figure out how they did that. You know, Darius Leonard, Shaq Leonard now, you know, would sleep on a certain side of his body for years because he couldn't sleep on the other side because it reminded him of his brother who was killed in a shooting. And there's these layers to these guys and there's this human element that's so fascinating. And for a lot of people, the NFL is just three hours every Sunday. 
and I've always been fascinated by the other hours and, and, and the other layers to these people. And so that's the most fascinating thing. I've gotten to know Pat McAfee years before he became this bona fide celebrity. And I got to know Andrew Luck really well. And you know, these guys have such interesting stories and how they got to the peak of their profession. I've always been more fascinated by that. Um, and to answer your earlier question, the hardest thing, Vince, is is not being a fan. Mm. You really have to become almost robotic in a sense. And, and you're certainly still invested in a certain way. Like on Sundays when everybody's rooting for the Colts, I'm rooting for the story. Mm. It's selfish on my part, but that's my job. Um, you know, I grew up in Indianapolis in the 2000s. What did everybody do? Root for Peyton Manning. Of course. Yeah. The team just won. They just won every year. I think the city kind of took it for granted. It was, it was greatness before your eyes. And, you know, it was a hard pivot to covering the team and dealing with players who were angry at you and executives who were angry at you and what you'd written. Well, was anything factually incorrect? No. Well, okay. But I'm doing my job. Um, and, and they're not winning like they used to. And so there's reasons for that. That's a hard pivot. But again, the NFL is such, it's just so interesting. There's so many storylines. It's never, there's never really an off season. Like we just got done with a draft a couple of weeks ago and that's like our biggest engagement in, in, in page views and, and subscribes of the year. Okay. That's not even during the season. So um, it never ceases to be boring and that's always been attractive to me. Yeah. If you weren't covering the Colts and aspects of the NFL, what would you prefer to cover? Gosh, in a perfect world, Golf. Okay. I love okay. golf. They've let me cover the Masters. They've let me cover the uh, PJ Championship a couple years ago in St. Louis. That was like Candyland for me. Yeah. Um, because I'm still a fan of golf, and and I don't really have to stay objective in that regard. So that that was like just a, a retreat. That was like just just straight fun. So, but honestly, anywhere there's a great story, I've written about every type of sport there is. Um, anywhere there's a great story, I'm in. I've written about a New York City mobster with no sports ties, who hid in this city, Indianapolis, for 10 years. Nobody knew he was here, hiding from his family in New York that was trying to kill him. <laughs> Wildest story of my career. Um, but it's just, he would go to Panera Bread every day, and people didn't even know there's like a guy whose family was mentioned in Goodfellas, the movie, sitting a couple rows over. So um, if there's a good story there, whether it's sports or not, I'm in. I'll have to find that story. Yeah, that's I'm, what I was just thinking. I, yeah. didn't, I did not know about that yeah. one. Sounds like there's a new pod, another podcast series there. Yeah, perhaps. Um, so you're also teaching at IU, which I knew. Uh, when did that happen? And there's a certain, I mean, being an IU fellow IU grad, and I'm sure maybe you would say this about about Purdue. Um, something intriguing about that. Maybe it's a point yeah. in my life now where I'm like, that would actually be kind of cool. Yep. I've done it four years now. I teach advanced sports writing. Can't do it in the fall because of football season. Um, it's hard. Teaching's hard. Like the amount of time you spend grading. It, it really adds up, but I really enjoy it. So a lot of the students come into my class, come into the program. We have a great program, the IU Media School. I love sports. I want to do this for a living. Yeah. Well, it's very, very different mm -hmm. when you actually do it for a living, right? So, you know, I ask them on the first day, who's your favorite sports caster, writer, radio person? And I cringe when a couple of them say Stephen A. Smith or Skip Bayless. <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, like we want to get to like <laughs> the ones who do like the real, you know, like, please say a writer or, or someone. Um, and so I think the, the most gratifying thing for me is to get them to understand what makes a good story and why it's a good story. So we read a lot of good stories. I have a lot of guest speakers come down and talk. Chris Ballard, the Colts GM, has come down and talked several years in a row just from his perspective on dealing with the media, mm. when reporters mm. have gotten things wrong, you know, how he treats local reporters versus national reporters. 
Um, and by the end of the class, I think a lot of students would say their views on the industry have changed dramatically. And there's some that have gotten really good jobs. And it's, it's really fun to work with them because it's a different media landscape now than it was when I came out in 2008. I mean, it's just there was no Twitter. Social media wasn't such an instrumental part of our job. So right. it's, it's completely different now. Do you think that makes the job easier or much harder or maybe a combination of both? There's both. I There are days when I wish it didn't exist. Yeah, It cheapens the experience, right? It, it's too fast, too simple, too narrow. But there are also really good advantages in terms of I can get my story out to every follower I have out there in a matter of minutes, right? And you can share that and that matters. You want people to come to your content. Um, but it, it, it certainly has... It's sad to say I can't imagine doing my job without it. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Mm. Yeah, I know you're you're pretty active. I, I see you on Twitter quite a bit. Um, let's say you put an article out, and there's a a good chunk of the Twitter population, if you will, that don't like the article for whatever reason. Um, obviously, it gives them they can hide behind the the phone, right? They can go on there and bash yeah. you, whatever. And I'm sure that's probably happened. How do you deal with that? I would say you get used to it over time. Um, it's certainly part of the job in the NFL. Yeah. That's what makes the NFL great is the interest. Everybody has an opinion. And it's certainly heightened in the offseason because there's no real answers coming, right? There's no games to yeah. play for yeah. six months. During the season, they have you know a verdict every Sunday. It's, <laughs> it's a win or loss league. It's, it's Monday is either you won, you lost the sky is falling or you could go to the Super Bowl. And that's the fun part because the interest is huge and every week feels like a weekly war. That's what Andrew Luck called it one time, a weekly war. And it feels like that and that's maybe over-dramatizing a little bit. But um, the one thing I do is you can disagree. I don't do opinion pieces often. It's more analytical, but my facts are inarguable. Like yeah. these, are, these are the facts. And, and I've dealt with, and I've had heated conversations with Jim Irsay and Chris Ballard about all these kinds of things and players. But these are the facts. This is the reality. And my view has always been, I don't owe it to the team. I don't work for the team. Right. I owe it to the reader to keep yeah. it real. Yeah. And if I'm not keeping it real with the reader, then why are they going to read? Like I always say, there's eight or nine of us that are at every single practice, every single game, the whole year that cover the team. Readers can read anybody they want. Why are they going to read you? Hopefully because you're doing something a little bit different. And that's yeah. what I try to do. You can't always do that. But I try to tell them the story they've never heard before. I try to do something that no one else is doing. And, and, and that's the reality and, and humanizing the players is part of that. But also, yeah, you deal with the criticism, but, um, if you don't get things wrong, you know, people usually over time come to respect your opinion. If they don't agree with it, sure. I mean, I covered Carson Wentz's lone season. That was, that was right. a very, very hotly debated season in Indy and you get used to it. But, um, at the very least, they respect you that I've been there for a while. They know that my view is not just something I pulled out. Yeah. Out of nowhere. <clears throat> um, you mentioned you're there at literally almost every practice, correct? Everyone from August until whenever it ends. This may be a dumb question, but like, like you have full access. Well, I don't say full access, but you have access to being there. Um, is that is that normal that you would have that much media there that often? So it's broken up. Okay. Training camp is open. Every minute of practice. So okay. sometimes it's two hours and 30 minutes. Um, and that's great. You can learn a lot. You can learn who's playing well. Like last year, we were like, the offensive line doesn't look great. What happened in September and October? It fell apart. They blew it up in October. Um, 
in the season, once the season starts, we only get about 15 to 20 minutes, which yeah. is a huge difference. They're obviously not going to show us plays. They run and all that. Gotcha. Totally understand that competitive yeah. advantage. Basically, in the season, you're just checking to see who's there. This guy's here. He, he's probably playing this Sunday. This guy's here. He's probably hurt. He's not playing. Not nearly as fun. But you can learn a lot showing up um, because that's, you know, for my end, we want to see the real. We don't want to see what they've, you know, the cliches in the press conference. We want to see the actual football because um, that's where you learn the most. Right. Yeah. Um, May, growing up in Indy, different sport, but. Are you a race fan? Yeah, absolutely. I love I love the Indianapolis 500. I wrote years ago about essentially why did it become what it became, hmm. right? And, and Tony Holman saving it and the early years and like people were dying every other day at the track and there was national protest to shut this place down. And so they built the bricks and that helped a little bit, but uh, it's a fascinating story. It's an amazing survival story, the track itself. And uh, it's the best place in the world in May, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So do you go to the race every year? Yeah. Yeah. My favorite story was Doug Bowles, um, who's the president of IMS, yep. let me shadow him for a day during race week. When so we're, we're talking re- like, like relatively recently? Uh, 15 or 16. Okay. And okay. we're talking like, I met him at 4 a.m., and I left him at like 1130 that night. And yeah. that's his day every day in May. Yeah. And we talked to everyone you could think of, like every living champion. He would just bump into them. Mario Andretti one minute, AJ Foyt the next. Every, you know, current driver, Scott Dixon's right here. Frank Heedy, like it would just, it was like having a backstage pass to the entire like open wheel racing circuit. And it was awesome. And I slept for like two days afterward before I wrote the story. <laughs> Doug just like he drank like six cups of coffee and just like he just powered through it. Yes, I he so I I know Doug a little, um, but you're so 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 true. I mean, it, that dude is on it all month long, and they're really this isn't to pad pad you, Doug, but like um, I'm pretty confident when Penske bought the Speedway, like he was like I'm not changing that because. If there's one guy you want running it as the face of this place, it's Doug Bowles. He can't walk five feet in the in the speedway without someone stopping him. Right. Fans. And <laughs> yeah, like, it doesn't yeah. have to be just yeah. Roger or the drivers. It's, no, it's the fans who all know who he, he is now. It's because he's not just the guy who runs the speedway. He's he's like us. He just loves racing. Yep. Yeah. And it's not a job to him. And so he he takes it very seriously. But it was it was it was really fun to see everything that goes into his job and how little time he gets to breathe that that this time of year. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's no question his passion for for IMS uh the Speedway or IndyCar in general. Um well changing gears a little bit, uh we we talk about May and being in you know the month of Indy 500 here of course. Uh but May also happens to be Brain Cancer Awareness Month. Um so Zach, I know you have a story there. So what what is your cancer story? Yeah, so it was May of 2014 just the curveball of all curveballs for our family. Um, I was in the middle of a Pacers playoff series. I was in between, like, the playoffs are crazy. You're, like, on a flight at a hotel or at an arena. You don't even know which day it is. You just know what game is next, game four, game five, whatever. And my mom calls me, and my dad had a weird eye exam of all things. And the optometrist told her to maybe go get something checked out. Long story short, stage four, brain cancer. It was the worst word. I think if you know what this word means, then you do you agree. It's, it's glioblastoma. It's what John McCain had. Um, 
And so it just rocked our family immediately. And, and I know a lot of people out there listening probably have, have dealt with similar situations, similar conversations, where, how, why us? Um, and he had surgery. And I think our hope was that a lot of it would get removed. A lot of the tumor would come out. And I remember sitting in this room at Community North and hearing, I did as much as I could. A lot of it's still in there. And that was sort of like your heart drops out of your body. And then the process begins of just this completely new world where everything is upended. Um, so that was March, that was May of 2014. He passed away in March of 2015. It's about 10 months. Okay. A lot happened in that time. I got married. That was stressful in itself. He was up, he was down, medications, mood changes, the body breaking down. He retired from his job. Um, but yeah, it felt like a long time, but it was really just 10 months and it was just, um, it was, unimaginably difficult mm-hmm. yeah um what this doesn't sound weird but like what what do you remember most about those 10 months that you had with him did you think like i need to make the most of the time we've got or was the mindset still like hey maybe maybe there's a chance and we'll find something or something will work and, we'll, and it won't be 10 months it'll be 10 years yeah it's the latter i think you there's a denial that everyone goes through and you believe that it's not going to be 10 months. You believe it's going to be five years. And you have those good days, and those good days give you that reassurance, even though they're false, right? They're, they're, they're a tease. Um, and so, you know, especially when it's your dad, your father, like the person who shows you like what work looks like and what, you know, values are and like who's never been hurt before, you know? Yeah. That was my dad to me. He, had a, he knew everything. He taught me everything. And so... To see him vulnerable and hurting and incapable of doing simple things like driving a car. Remember this argument we had about he he was driving the boat at the, up at the lake house, and he just wasn't seeing his peripheral vision was off. And I had to be the one that was like, "You can't drive anymore." And he was a control freak, and he wouldn't let go of that. And these medications are just amplifying his anger. Yeah. And so you have to be the bad guy, and that was just hard to like remove their freedom from them. Um, and there was a little bit of that. And then like the next week he would have a good day and it's just like, like you said earlier, you try to make the best of it, but dealing with the emotional war for lack of a better phrase, uh, was really hard on me. It was really hard on my mom. Um, but again, you, you feel like it's a long time cause you're just going day by day and you're like, we're doing okay. But 10 months, it feels like a blitzkrieg. And then by the end, he's in the hospital every day and you're, you're just trying to grasp for hope and hope is just slowly fading away. And it's just, you can't see it straight. I don't, at least we couldn't, you right. cannot see it straight at that point. Well, it's been, it's been eight years. What would you think your dad would say to you today as he's witnessed you in the last eight years? What What do you hope he would say to you? And what do you, what do you hope that, uh, that you've done over this past eight years that, to make him proud? That's heavy. Um, <laughs> It's funny because people will be hesitant to bring it up. And I'm sure those that have, have lost, you know, people are, they tiptoe around it. And I'm like, it's okay. Don't like, I think about it every day. Yeah. It's not like you're going to surprise me with this thought, um, especially with two little kids. I hope my dad would say you're a great dad because that's everything. Um, I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old, both are girls. And like, just just kills you every day that they're not able to see their grandpa and he's not able to, you know, enjoy that time with him. He earned that. He deserves that. Every, every dad deserves that. 
Um, but I think you lean on advice from friends and you, and you lean on the memories and you keep his memory. We talk about him. Um, but I don't, I would, you know, he would be happy with any success I've had in work and, and all of that. But mainly it's just, it's the kids. I think that's, that's, that's the biggest thing I think for him. Yeah. I would, I would say the same thing. So my wife lost her mother, um, a few years after we got married. So before we had kids. So obviously she's, you know, she hasn't known any of them. And, um, that's probably one of the, the things that sticks with. It's just so unfair. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what questions do you have for us, Mr. Mr. Reporter? <laughs> that's Man. a scary, that's a scary question. Right. Where are we going with this? <laughs> um, I don't know. Where, where are you going to go mm-hmm. with this? I'm pretty good at thinking on my feet. What have you guys learned through this process that has surprised you? As many people as you talk to, as many different experiences as you've worked through and heard, mm. you've probably heard almost everything, but what are the moments that have surprised you the most? Because every experience is different. Yeah, I'll let you answer that one. <clears throat> yeah, I think it's, um, well, one is just always trying to improve it, right? Just how surprising it is to continue not not doing it. Doing it's the fun part, but looking at me, okay, how can we do it better? How can we, who's, who do we reach out to? Who do we talk to? And, and how do we keep to improve it? And, and things like that. And that's just more, I guess, more of the back end. Um, the more surprising thing is just the variety of stories that we have. And I've said it a couple of times, but um, it's how surprising sometimes some of the guests we've had, it's the first time they've either, either they've shared their story wholly or they've shared a part of it that they hadn't shared before or something like that and and then how surprising it is like when that happens and and um you know you know emotionally like here in the room as well as for them and things like that is is always something that's it's surprising but rewarding i guess it's kind of weird to say but um just meeting the guests and understanding where they came from what they're going through and then um, just hopefully that it helps someone else out there i think it's um from this seat, it's therapeutic, and everyone mm-hmm. works on a different timetable. But Vince, after the after the gala in January, four to five to eight people came up to me and said, "I lost my mom from the same thing, from brain cancer, from glioblastoma." Mm-hmm. And she's like, "I hadn't talked to anybody about it in a year, you know." And then we talked for ten minutes, and it's like I knew her life story. I think that helps a lot. That companionship, mm-hmm. and yep. we shared so many of the same situations, like the same symptoms and all that and it's hard to go back but to know that you have someone in your corner that dealt with it it's it helps a lot i think mm-hmm. well that word therapeutic that you just used um we've heard that multiple times mm-hmm. with several of our guests mm-hmm. we had some folks who were really um they agreed to come on but they were, just weren't really sure they weren't feeling, feeling the reserved. warm fuzzies they yeah. reserved. and then yeah. once the episode was over they're like you know what i'm so glad i did that it was very yep. therapeutic um which is great to me, like to answer the same question, like I have no journalism background, have never done this before in my life. Daniel brought the idea to us and said, Hey, let's let's do this podcast and after we thought about it for a while. Um, but like you, like I love doing it. Like mm-hmm. I, it, it's fun. Um I don't think I'm very good at it and it was you know, like anything else, we get a little bit better the more we do, but uh um at the end and it's always checking the the views and, and the, any comments that actually happen or stuff like that. And of course the, the competitive part of me was like, okay, 
this one only got 12 views. Like, what the hell? We got, that was a great episode, I thought. Yeah, yeah. And then another episode, not that any of them are bad. They're all great. Um, <laughs> another one that was like, it was okay, got, you know, 500 views. Like, yeah. Why did that? Like, it's hard to uh, make sense of that. Oh, we do that yeah, in our yeah. world. Why did this story, which I thought was really good, not do anything? Yeah. This one wasn't very good, but it blew up. Yeah. It's it's best not to worry about it, I yeah. think. But yeah. On the I mean, at the end of the day, it, you know, this is not a this is not a job. It's it's not putting money in our it's pocket. It's not why you it do is, it. It's right. not why we do it, yeah. right? Um, and what like Daniel said, the, the most rewarding piece is is just knowing that people enjoyed coming on. Mm-hmm. If they found a therapeutic, hey, awesome. Um, and or if they provided a story that maybe somehow benefits someone else, we've had a few phone calls or yeah. a few email interactions where um, a piece of information was shared in a story, and someone actually benefited from. It. Which that's that's great. Yeah, and that's and this is what I shared at the gala in January. Is like the best piece of advice I got was from another, a friend of ours, a family friend who lost his dad. The same thing, and this is just off the cuff. We were just talking, and he said, "Look, you can't change what happened, but you can live every day and make your dad proud." And for some reason, that just clicked. And so you guys don't know, but any moment of these podcasts, someone listening could just click. Mm-hmm. And usually it's from someone who's been through a similar situation, but you just don't know. And he probably didn't think that would change. I mean, literally that changed my mindset on everything. Every day moving forward, that was the mindset. I don't know why it hit, but it just did. And that's how I've approached everything since. And so when I tell people what to think about when I when they go through these horrible situations, one is the stages of grief are real and you need to embrace them. Like it's okay to be mad at the world for a couple of days or weeks. It's okay to cry, like crying's healthy. It's, you know, it's okay to move through those and embrace them and not try to push them away. But then that last piece of advice, which someone could just drop in here and you guys probably don't even notice it. Yeah. Might, yeah. Those things can really hit home. And, and when you're going through these different things, you don't see things the same way. And, and sometimes things just resonate when you least expect it. Yeah. Yep. Well said. Well, I think that comment alone, your dad would be proud to hear you say. Uh, we appreciate you helping to support us, being part of the gala, coming mm-hmm. on here and, and sharing your story. Um, so thank you for doing that. Yeah, thank you. Um, keep up the good work. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Go yeah. uh, go kick the Colts in the ass for us. Yeah. Tell the- <laughs> That's what I'm doing, man. Over yeah. Best 56th Street. So I'll tell A. Rich, welcome, and the other rookies, welcome to Indy. Yep. Um, you know, there's, if they don't know this, um, tell them the story of what Indy is, meaning – you know, New York City is seven ways to Kevin Bacon. Here it's only two. I know the Colts organization has it's a, it's a machine, but you know if if they, there's a community behind them, not just you know sports fans. And if you know, like any other Hoosier, if there's a way we can help or assist them with anything, mm-hmm. I think they will feel that. A lot of yeah. players I've talked to, one they don't know anything about Indy when they get here, besides maybe the racing or sure, yeah. But when they start to get in the communities, they love it because yeah. the people are just good people, right? That's just it's just real, and you can't fake that and it takes time, but I think they'll feel that. And I think the city's hungry for a winner consistently. They've been close a little bit of getting things together the last couple of years and it all bottomed out. I think they're ready to see this done right. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Cool. Well, thanks again. We appreciate yeah, thank it. Thank you. Thanks, guys. And thank all you guys for tuning into this episode of the Summits Podcast. We appreciate you guys tuning in from wherever you get your podcasts. And for those of you watching on the Heroes Foundation YouTube channel, thank you for doing so. And don't forget, guys, the whole point of this is beat cancer. <laughs>